in uh, Exodus 23, verse 20, is where we left off last week or a couple weeks ago. I forget the time. But remember here that the Lord is speaking. He's speaking to Moses. The Lord gave the Ten Commandments a total of three times. You know, we're here that where he gave the, the Ten Commandments the first time, spoken, the spoken word. And what the Lord is doing, he's giving a series of precepts to Moses to apply for him and to apply for the Levitical priesthood and to apply uh, for the people of God, for God's people. And it's very beautiful because, you know, you see the heart of God and how he desires these, this closeness with his people. But, you know, we kind of know how the story goes where, you know, and not in the very near future here in a couple more chapters, there's going to be the calf that Israel is worshiping. And they start to say, like, you know, this calf is the one who rescued us out of Egypt. And it begs the question, what happened? What on earth happened? And have you ever been in a situation where, you know, like, one day, you know, you're worshiping the Lord with another person or a group of people. And then in the course of time, something happens to where, like, you're still walking with the Lord. You're still reading the Bible and the Lord is growing you and maturing you and, you know, perfecting you. But then, you know, you look to these other people and it's like, what on earth happened? You know, this guy is going back to crack. This girl has left her husband. This kid is, you know, selling his body for sex, for, for money. It's like, what on earth happened? And in your heart of hearts, you wish you could hit the rewind button. But you can't. We can't do that. But we have mouths. You know, we can speak through an outpouring of our hearts and say, hey, come back to the Lord. Repent and come back to the Lord. And it's so beautiful here because you see the heart of God. This is straight up Exodus. How a lot of times people say like, oh, I don't like the God of the Old Testament because, you know, he's very vengeful and very mean and full of vengeance. But I don't see that at all. You know, people say, I like the New Testament because it's more comforting. It's more palatable. But it's like, really? How could it be? Have you read Revelation? You know, it's like, how could it be palatable when, you know, it's, it's like we're uh, we're spoiled. Because we're in an age where, you know, it's not, there's, I mean, this, this coming wrath, it's like people have been lulled to sleep through it in this time period. But it is coming. It is coming. And you have all these passages where there's wrath. And, you know, always precursory to wrath, to God's wrath, is grace and mercy. Always, 100% of the time. Precursory to wrath, there's always grace and mercy. And here in verse 20, the Lord is speaking to Moses and he says, Behold, I send an angel before you. Notice the capitalization here of angel. I don't know what version Bible you're reading, but it's, this is, the, the A is capitalized. And there's passages in the Old Testament where you have what's called theophanies or Christophanies. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And it's awesome. It's so beautiful. I mean, sometimes you have the little age, an angel, an angel of the Lord, which is somebody, you know, like uh, uh, Michael, you know, the archangel, you know. But then, uh, another, you know, when you see the capital A, and, and sometimes you got to measure it with other passages in Scripture. But most of the time you have this theophany, Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And here you have where he says in verse 20, 
Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. You know, this, when you have these theophanies in the Old Testament, a lot of times what you see is the character of our Lord. Because you see the good shepherd. What he's doing here is he's shepherding. A definite attribute of the good shepherd. And you're going to have all these stations in life. You know, from childhood to, you know, the teenage years. And then the 20s and the 30s. And you're going to have all these stations in life. But ultimately, the Lord, he desires to lead you into Zion. You say, like, Zion, what is that? It's a heavenly place. It's the New Jerusalem. And you see this concept of, you know, God's hand in leading his people. Very, very early stages here. I mean, we're speaking about Israel in her infancy. But turn with me really quick to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. <clears throat> Got his little G code on. Yeah. Okay, Psalm 23. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. Verse 1, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Translates as, you know, I'm just reading what's in my little, uh, the sidelines of my Bible. Pastures of tender grass. He leads me beside still waters or waters of rest. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup <laughs> runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, you read these words, just six simple verses. And I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, I read those things and it is beautiful. Beautiful. Who would not want these green pastures? Who would not want these still waters? And sometimes you look in the lives of people and it's like, wait, you know, the Bible says this. The Bible speaks about, you know, these green pastures. The Bible speaks about these still waters. And it's like, what's up with all this chaos in your life? What's up with all this? You know, this is this is part of the. The sweet whispers of Satan. You know, you see the heart of the Lord of how he desires blessings upon us, upon you. Individually, corporately in your family unit, corporately in the bride of Christ. I'm speaking about the church. But what happens when you don't have this? How come sometimes you see like, you know, the Bible speaks about this, but this is what I see. That's when the Lord teaches us about looking at the fruit. 
And sometimes, you know, people, and I'm not trying to sound judgmental, but I tend to call things like they are. Not that, you know, I, I wear that, you know, with a little feather in my hat. Is I don't, but I like in order from, it's like, I don't like foggy windows, you know. You get in your car in the morning, you hit the defroster or whatever, you know, or you scrape the ice off. I don't like driving with, with foggy windows because that way I can make a decision. I'm able to navigate. And what I've seen in the lives of people, sometimes they're not heeding the Bible, which is disobedience, not a good thing. Or sometimes they're following a different Jesus. They're not following the Jesus of the Bible. And that's when we get into the concept of spiritual warfare. I mean, not to say that spiritual warfare isn't in other places. And what I say is when you see these people, don't follow them. Encourage them to, hey, you know, be in the Bible. Where is it that you go to church? Come to a church that teaches the Bible. It's not, I can't, it's not a prideful thing in saying this. It's part of God's prescription. It's part of his prescription. I mean, like, you know, if, if, if I have allergies, you know, I'm not going to take, a, a, you know, um, Fish oil, you know. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. You know, I'm gonna take allergy pills to help me with my uh, what you call runny nose, uh, itchy eyes. You know, I'm gonna take an allergy pill. It's God's prescription. His antidote for this fallen world is from His Word, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, He helps us live the Christian life. It's not to say like, hey, don't follow these people and just you know let them fall. It's to say, hey, don't follow these people, but hey, be a fisher of men. You know, it's a lot of damage is done to the church. A lot of damage is caused to the name of Christ when people don't obey the Lord or they're following a different Jesus. Now, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 really quick. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. And I love Paul so much because Paul, you know, he's writing this letter to the church. And it's not necessarily captured here. But there was a lot of people who were talking smack about Paul. Like, you know, Paul's such a tough guy. He writes all these letters. You know, let him come over here. You know, I'm going to give him peace of my mind. That's when Paul starts to write even further. He's like, okay, I will come over there. But here he's writing a letter to the church. He says in chapter 11, verse 10, As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Achaia. And when he's boasting, he's boasting in Christ. And he's saying, no one shall stop me from this boasting. Even though they tried, remember, of the... Uh, of the uh, 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 People of the law, the religious leaders, they wanted him dead. They tried to kill him. In fact, there's other passages that say they thought he was dead. And we're going to study that more when we get to the book of Acts. But they left him for dead, but the Lord kept him alive. He says, no one shall stop me. In verse 11, why? Question mark. Because I do not love you? Question mark. I wonder if Paul would say these things to the church. And they say like, oh, Paul, he's not a God of love, you know. 
here's this kid that's having sex with his dad's wife and they come to church and rejoice god is love and paul says no you guys need to kick that guy out of church a little leaven leavens the bunch Oh, Paul, you know, he speaks like he's such a tough guy. That's not love at all. And Paul is saying, why? Because I do not love you? God knows, exclamation point. Verse 12, he says, but what I do, I will also continue to do. Remember, he said in verse 10, no one's going to stop me. And he says, but what I do, I will, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be guarded just as we are. Paul teaches the truth. Paul taught Jesus Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then amongst the people, you have all these posers. Hypocrites, people who wanted to be like Paul and say, yeah, you know, I also teach the truth. I also teach the truth. But when you follow their doctrine, it's just lies. And Paul says, hey, I want to cut off their opportunity. He says that I may cut off the opportunity from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Never, ever, ever forget in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, John writes to us and he says, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see if they are of God or not. And that's one of the beauties about Holy Scripture, it's because when the word comes off these pages and into your heart, something happens where the Holy Spirit teaches you. And you're able to have discernment and exercise and practice discernment where it's like, okay, is this from Satan or is this from God? Outside of sound doctrine, nobody has that ability. That's why these people, these preachers, these deceitful workers, that's why they're able to get away with murder. Because nobody knows their Bibles. Their elders, their co-pastors should be the ones to say, hey, pastor, this is wrong. Hey, co-pastor, hey, elder, this is wrong. Or the elder should say, hey, pastor, this is wrong. And if all those guys are defunct, then, you know, somebody in the church should rise up and say, hey, pastor, this is wrong. This is wrong, but nobody knows their Bibles. And Paul says in verse 15, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Now, I have to say this. Anything God is for, Satan is against. Anything God loves, Satan hates. Anything God saves, Satan attempts to destroy, and anything God teaches, Satan will twist into a lie. You have to know your Bibles. You must know your Bible. You know, and it's like, oh, you know, snap, I don't know, you know. Be patient and read and study. 
You know, it's, that's what's so beautiful about taking the pages of this book and putting them on your heart, on your mind, in your soul, to the depths of your marrow. Remember, the voice of wisdom is on the rooftop shouting. And like all these multitudes of people and the voice of wisdom is shouting. But who will lend ear to her voice? Remember, say to wisdom, you are my sister. Say to understanding, you are my nearest kin. Satan knows his Bible too. Satan knows the Bible very well. And I think it's very interesting how Jude... Jude, turn with me to Jude. I say chapter one, but there's only one chapter. Jude chapter one. An interesting verse emerges here. In verse nine. I think it's cool how... Not yet in verse 9, but I think it's very cool how the Holy Spirit. Put on Jude's heart to write these things, because in verse 3, brother Jude, he says, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So he was going to, you know, sit down and write a letter to the church and say, hey, I'm going to exhort you, you know, and encourage you and write about our common salvation. But boom, the Holy Spirit fell upon his heart and, you know, provoked him and is like, hey, no, write about these things to contend earnestly for the faith. And he speaks about these deceitful workers in verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now turn or look at verse 9 here in the same chapter. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil... When he disputed about the body of Moses, we're not there yet in, you know, in our study in the Old Testament, but it's going to happen. When he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. You know, there's no huge arguments you need to get in with Satan. In fact, I say, don't get into them. Even Michael, the archangel didn't get into arguments with Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Have you ever talked with a very, very, a salesman? You know, you're like, you know, you're gonna go buy a new car and you know, you talk with your wife, you talk with your husband, you say, okay, this is our dollar limit. And then you go in the the car lot and then in comes a salesman, you know? And they're slick talkers, they're smooth talkers. And it's like, you know, you can either, if you stick to your guns, you hold your line, you can walk out with no car, you know, or a car at your price that you predetermined. Or, you know, you can walk walk out and you got a new car, but, you know, you're in major debt. And that's how I see Satan. Smooth talker. Smooth talker. He was a liar. He's the, the father of lies. He was a murderer from the beginning. And he's a thief. Remember to Eve, 
Did God really say? First question in the Bible. Did God really say? And because she lent ear to him, look at, you know, he was a smooth talker, you know, that serpent of old. You need not get into these big arguments with Satan. Just say, the Lord rebuke you. The Lord rebuke you. Get me, get behind me, Satan, as the Lord said. You don't have to say, get into these big arguments with Satan. Don't do that because he's a smooth talker. And he capitalizes on emotions. You know, we need not be led by emotions. Now, I got to say a little asterisk to that is, you know, the Lord also speaks through emotions. That's why you always have to put everything in check with the word of God. These sensitivities to the Holy Spirit. These are beautiful things in the eyes of the Lord. But we still have to exercise wisdom. That's why you see, like when you read what we read in, uh, in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23, you see, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then you go and talk to Christians and it's like, man, I want to blow my brains out. I want to jump off a bridge. And it's like, what happened? Where are the green pastures? Where are there still waters? And to take that brother or take that sister and say, hey, either you're disobedient to the Lord because, yeah, you're sad now, but look at the choice you made five months ago. This is the aftermath of that. That's not what God wanted. This is, you're, in the, you're, you're tasting the fruit of disobedience. Repent and return to Christ. Return to the Lord. You know, people are like, oh, yeah, I'm so sad. I want to jump off a bridge. I want to blow my brains out. And it's not to say that to invalidate depression. But it's to say, hey, wait a second. Where are these green pastures? Where are these still waters? Don't forget that we have hope. And maybe they're being disobedient to the Lord or maybe they're listening to the voice of a different Jesus a sham. I'm speaking of the evil one, our enemy. You know, and that's part and parcel of this spiritual warfare. This is what requires wisdom in the last days. Not just the last days, but any day. The current days. Requires wisdom in these days that we live in. And so you say, wait a second, we're supposed to be in Exodus. Okay. Let's go to Exodus. Back to our study in Exodus 23. And this is what the Lord says. I'm going to read verse 1 all over again. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you. To keep you in the way and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. This is an attribute of Jesus Christ. Remember the theophany or Christophany. The angel of the Lord. He says in verse 21, beware of him. Which translates in the Hebrew as have regard and take heed to him. 
it's very, very, very important for all of us, myself included, we're all in the same boat to heed the voice of the Lord. And that only comes when we have ears to hear and eyes to see, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And you say like, why Why did we even touch on these dark subjects? Well, in a couple more chapters, we're going to see a golden calf. We're going to see some hardcore idolatry. And the people turn their backs on the Lord. And that's not to say that, you know, the Lord, you know, it, it, it breaks the Lord, the Lord's heart. He... His counter to that is <clears throat> chastisement, correction. But it's very important for us. Remember, the Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Jesus Christ is the same. He never changes. And the Bible says here in verse 21, Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. You say like, wait a second. What do you mean he won't pardon your transgressions or my transgressions? Remember, number one, we're in the law. And right now the law is being established. This law is being given. And there's also a means of atonement, which is coming. The Lord is going to teach the people. He says to take, tell Moses and teach them about, you know, sacrifice unto the Lord and atoning for sin. But the standard is being set right here and now. For my name is in him. You think about what's that concept of the law and grace and mercy. And I'll give you an example. Say I'm flying down the highway. And you know the cop, you know the cherry top lights up. And all of a sudden pulls me over and it's like okay I get a ticket for speeding. But then say, for example, you have a child who fell off a high point, you know, fell off the high point and broke his or her arm. I'll say his arm, you know, broke his arm. And you're flying down the highway. You're going faster than I was going. And, you know, the cherry lights up and you cop pulls you over. The cop looks in and you're like, hey, you know, I'm going to the hospital. My son broke his arm. And the cop looks at your son and sees an arm dangling there by the skin. You know, the bone is just totally shattered. All of a sudden, the cop's going to say, hey, I'm going to give you a police escort. You know, follow me. Lights up his lights and you're following him. And that's an example of the law, grace and mercy. All, you know, for me, I was speeding because I was, you know, running late and I was flying down the highway and I had to pay a ticket. The law, you know, was a, a tutor to say, hey, cut it out and I have to pay my fine. But in your case, you were like flying to the highway for a reason. And the cop pulled you not to say that the law didn't apply to you, but the Lord, the, the, the policeman applied grace and mercy because of, you know, the situation. And that's kind of how it is for us. Not to say the law is over, period. The law is still in effect. But for the Christian, there's grace and mercy because of the situation being we are a blood-bought people, blood of the Lord over the doorpost of my heart and your heart. But the law is still in effect. If I abandon, you know, the, 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 these confines of Holy Scripture and I start to beat on my wife and cheat on my wife and get drunk and do drugs and all those things, 
then I'm no longer under grace anymore. I've taken advantage of God's grace. I'm now under the law. And hopefully the law will bring me back to where I need to be. I'll still have to, you know, reap what I've sown. But remember, you know, when you have this, I have to tell you, people get into crazy doctrines. When they say these things, you think, why, why, are even we, why are we even talking about all these things? It's safety. That's why. Because people get into really, really crazy doctrines about, you know, these theophanies, the angel of the Lord, a picture of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And then when you have the invocation of the law. And so that's kind of why we sidestepped a little bit to provide greater illumination on things that are at hand here. He says, do not provoke him. Still in verse 21, do not provoke him for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. So yes, you know, God is a God of grace and mercy. But don't forget, he's still the Lord. He's still the Lord. And so he says in verse 22. He says, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak. Remember when Jesus Christ was speaking to the Pharisees. And he's telling them, I and my father are one. Actually, he's speaking to the disciples. And he says, I and my father are one. And it's so beautiful because you have this union of Jesus Christ and the father. It's a holy union. And you know, don't forget the Holy Spirit. You have the triune nature of God, Elohim in the Hebrew. In the beginning, God, which is in the Hebrew is in the beginning, Elohim. The triune nature of God. And he says, but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. You see, the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. Obedience has tremendous blessings. Tremendous, tremendous, tremendous blessings. And sometimes you see people... You know, and I'm not saying, trying to say that they don't love the Lord. But that's why Jesus Christ says, you know, if you love me, follow me. If you love me, obey my commandments. He is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. He never ceased being the good shepherd. He desires still waters. He desires green pastures for you and for me, for all of his people, for all of his creation. But you know, like Paul teaches, you don't have to turn there, but I'm going to read from Romans 10, verse 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him? Of whom they have not heard. And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things. You see, you read it backwards. And what do you see? You see that the people are, a person is sent. And then a person preaches. The people hear. The people believe. And then the people call on him for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it's, it's 
called the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, to go and make disciples. It's not to go and make converts. Making converts is a piece of cake. You know, it, it, it turns the gospel of Jesus Christ into a cheesy sales pitch. And all due respect to the Lord by saying it like that, the Lord never said, go and make converts. You know, that's a piece of cake. He says, go and make disciples. Students, learners, people who apply the word of God in their lives. And what do you see all over the place? You see a mess. You don't see green pastures. You don't see still waters. And yet, even way back here in the law, the Lord is speaking these things to Moses to say, hey, go tell this to my people. Go tell this to my people. In Exodus 23, verse 22, But if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For, in verse 23, my angel, another, like, here he's speaking about, you know, how the Lord Jesus Christ is active. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. And you think like, whoa, that's, this is hardcore. Literally translates as, I will annihilate them. That's what the Lord is saying. You're like, whoa, you know, that's why a lot of people are like, you know, God is so judgmental in the Old Testament. But he's not. Don't forget that grace and mercy always precursor to grace and mercy or always precursor to wrath is grace and mercy. 100% of the time. 100% of the time. If you turn with me to Genesis 15. Genesis 15. He lists all these people, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, Jebusites. But in Genesis 15, something emerges here. In Genesis 15, verse 13. This is God speaking with Abraham before his name changed. He was still Abram. Then he said to Abram, he's speaking to Abram in a dream before his name changed. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. We've done a lot of studying up until this point. We've seen Joseph. We've seen, you know, Joseph become number two in command to Pharaoh. And then we've seen the imprisonment of God's people, Israel, in Egyptian captivity. And this is the Lord prophesying to Abram about these events. Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Don't forget. See, he's telling straight up, I'm going to judge this nation. I'm going to judge Egypt. But don't forget, prior to judgment upon Egypt, where was the grace and mercy? It was in Joseph. Joseph. How there was provision during the, the famine of the land. You see, that's what I mean when I say grace and mercy always precursory to judgment. He says, afterward they shall come out with great possessions. This is fulfilled in Exodus chapter 12, verse 36. But then he says, remember, he's speaking to Abram in a dream. Now as for you, very, very personal. Very, very personal. And it's the same with you and me. As for you, 
You shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. It was amongst the Amorite people. Sin begetting sin, begetting sin, begetting sin. And a total neglect of the things of the Lord. You say, what do you mean the things of the Lord? The Amorites are descendants of the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are from Ham. Remember the one who looked on their dad's nakedness? Noah. And Ham was like, oh, you know, brothers, come over here. Check it out. Our dad is naked. And the two other brothers, they walked backwards with the with the like a sheet. And they covered him. They didn't want to see his nakedness. But this son of disobedience, it became worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Where is the obedience unto the Lord? You see that? I mean, even when we were in Genesis, you know, we studied these things. We looked at lineages. And here you see, it, it just builds. And who ends the curse? Jesus Christ. He's the only one that can end curses like this. What's the curse? Death. It's the effect of the law. Law in the law brings death. The letter of the law. But in the spirit of the law is life. And you know, eyes open. Ears open. Ears to hear. Not just the spirit of the law, but the spirit of the word of God. Which speaks loud and clear. So, you know, you see these things going back to Exodus 23. He says, or Exodus uh, chapter 23, verse 24. This is what the Lord says. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. This is Israel. Israel, a people who were once in bondage. And now the Lord is transforming them into warriors. Straight up warriors. Not yet, but he's in the process of transforming them into warriors. Does that sound familiar? What about you and me? When the Lord saves us as new believers, you know, all of a sudden we're transformed by renewing of our minds, but it doesn't end there. The Lord grows us. The Lord matures us. You know, we're going to make mistakes along the way, but you repent and you continue to grow and mature. And finally, at some point, as he's equipping us, he's going to say, okay, now go and share the gospel. Now go and teach my Bible. Now go and do this ministry. Now go and work in this ministry. A lot of times, people like to jump into ministry without being transformed. Or jump into ministry without being equipped. And you know what happens? Satan, who's a fisherman, you know, puts a hook in their jaw and grabs them. That's how he works. And the Lord is settling here in his law in verse 24. You shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God. 
And he will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from the midst of you. Part of the, the blessings of obedience. He says in verse 26, No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. Israel is going to multiply. More and more and more, they're going to multiply and become a very strong nation. But he says here in verse 26, No one shall suffer miscarriage or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. This is God's hand. God's hand. Now, if you turn with me really quick to Isaiah chapter 54. If these, if these last words are difficult. In verse 26 of Exodus 23. In Isaiah 54. And you know, I'm going to hit pause here really quick. Immediately after the prophecy in Isaiah 53 comes Isaiah 54. Immediately after the prophecy of Jesus Christ. And verse 1 says, Sing, O barren, you who, whom, who have not born, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not labored with child, for more are the children of the desolate. This is Isaiah prophesying about children of faith. It's a totally different kind of family than the children of the married woman, says the Lord. And the Lord is saying, sing, O barren, you who have not born, you who at whom have not labored with child. And the Lord is prophesying about a family of faith. You see how beautiful the passages of the Holy Scripture are when you see these things? You know, you read the law and don't forget, we're not a people under the law. But that's not to change the character or nature of our Lord. And so like here, going back to Exodus 23, you know, when the Lord is speaking about Israel, who's in the process of multiplying, they are a tiny, tiny nation. Very tiny, fresh out of Egyptian bondage. And yet the Lord is establishing his law with his people, giving them a great proposition. This is the Lord, this is the people, and who are you going to be? And you see the desire of the Lord. Hey, I want you to walk with me. And sadly, you see Israel, Israel, they don't do it. In a couple chapters, they're going to be worshiping the, the golden calf. And Moses comes down and he says, hey, you know, whoever's going to be with God, come over here and stand with me. And you know, the Lord makes that separation. Just like he does today, a separation of people consecrated unto Jesus Christ. This is what he says in verse 27, still in Exodus 23. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion. Now, you know, there's the passage. God is not the author of confusion, which is true. But in the Hebrew, it says I will cause confusion, which is confusion. It's also disturbance and destruction. And if you remember, you hear me read, you know, every from time to time in Romans 1, 
How you have a people who had no acknowledgement of the Lord, nor were they thankful. And one of the saddest passages in Holy Scripture is God gave them up. God gave them up. I'll give you an example. Say you have a little child, you know, and you're holding your child and there's a little cat, you know, a cat over there in the corner. And the little child squirms. Hey, I want to touch the cat. So, you know, you go walk with the, you know, walk him or her to the cat. And then the cat hisses. And okay, don't touch the cat. And you bring the cat back. And that child fights you, scratches you. No, I want to touch the cat. And you're like, no, don't do that. You spank the kid. No, you're not going to touch the cat. It's dangerous. And the kid is like, hey, let go of me. I want to pet this cat. Nice and fluffy. It looks friendly. I want to pet this cat. And you're fighting with your kid like, no, I'm not going to let you do that. And then the kid finally just, his final burst of energy or her final burst of energy, let go of me. I'm going to that cat. And so it's like, okay, I'm done fighting you. The kid makes it to the cat. The cat hisses and scratches. And all of a sudden the kid has big old gash in his arm. It's not... It's not like the love is non-existent. You know, the kid fought and fought and fought and fought. It's not like you let the kid go because you wanted that hurt upon them. But you let the kid go to further teach him or her a lesson. And sometimes God does that to his people. Sometimes God does that to people at large. I remember I watched the testimony of this homosexual guy when he was a teenager he was sued into the homosexual lifestyle and groomed into that lifestyle by perverted men and people would tell him hey repent come to church repent get don't do that thing and he would get his heart would get harder and harder and harder and this guy this gay guy he was formerly gay guy he repented but he had aids And he was dying. He was like at the very aftermath of the AIDS virus, HIV. And he had AIDS. His immune system was completely shut down. And his body was just had spots all over. And he could barely talk. He was very weak. And he was like on his deathbed. And he was praising the Lord. And he was straight up saying, the Lord gave me up. And he let me taste of these things. And look, you know, I have AIDS now. And he was dying. He says, but I repented. Yeah, he's dying in this earth. But you know, repentance is a beautiful thing. Because the Lord used that to bring him back to himself. And I'm not trying to advocate for ruin in people's life. But when the Lord gives a person up. Sometimes it teaches us a lesson. You know, he teaches us a lesson in these situations. And the Lord is still at work. The Lord is at work. Always be hopeful. When people start to lose hope, the Calvinists, oh yeah, God preordained this, so whatever's going to happen is going to happen. So why should I have hope? Why should I even pray? No, always be hopeful. Always be praying. Be prayerful. And the Lord is saying here, you know what? I'm going to fight for you. I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And I will make. 
And I will make your enemies turn their backs to you. In the Old Testament, you know, and we're going to see it more and more, especially when we get into Joshua, number two, number, you know, number two after Moses. You know, you're going to see Israel win a lot of wars and battles. And every time they win one battles is when the Lord was honored in their camps. When the Lord was honored. And it reminds me of our own lives, of my life and your life. When the enemy comes, you know, and you win these battles because you're honoring the Lord. But then what happens when it's like you lose battles? Is the Lord honored in your life? Is the Lord honored in the home? You know, it's it's straight up warfare. And I keep saying that. I'm never going to get tired of saying that, but it is warfare. And Satan plays dirty. He can't get you to fall. Okay, that's no big deal. He'll try. He'll try and try. Okay, he'll go to your wife next. Can't get her to fall. Okay, then he'll go to the kids next. Can't get the kids. Okay, he'll go to those around you. How can I get them to fall? And he'll use them as a hook to win you to himself. He plays dirty. The last days requires wisdom. All these people who are going to say, Oh, yeah, this world leader. Let's follow this guy. Look, he's teaching about peace. He speaks about peace. No more wars. Yeah, the economy is going good. Everything's gangbusters. Everything's awesome. But he's satanic in origin. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And, you know, all these people that are falling for deception now. What's going to happen when the real deception comes on the scene? Don't forget there's a false prophet too. Who will bring fire from heaven. You know how many people are going to believe that? Because they want to believe with their eyes. Their carnal eyes. And their carnal ears. They want to seek signs. And the Lord says a wicked and cruel generation seeks after signs. And all these signs are being performed. Look at what the Lord does here in verse 28. He says, and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. Little tiny hornets. One hornet, no big deal. But what about a million billion hornets? I love that so much because God uses the humble to shame the wise. God uses the humble to shame the wise. I'll read a passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 26, Paul is writing to the church. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised. God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. These are the things that God uses. He uses the humble. He uses the weak and base things of the world to bring to shame the wise. You ever talk with the wise guy before? You know, a brainiac, you know, somebody who's got his or her doctorate in whatever. And they speak, they get on their high horses. It's not just speaking academically, but a lot of people get on their high horses for whatever reason. 
And then God uses the humble people like Peter. Beautiful Peter, a fisherman, you know, blue collar. Very, didn't have a lot of intellect or not intellect, but didn't have a lot of, uh, what do you call that? You know, when you know a lot of words, uh, he didn't know a lot of words, you know, he spoke blue collar. And the Lord used him when he was speaking to the, the religious leaders. And we're going to see it in the book of Acts on a Sunday eventually. But it's like they marveled because they realized, how, how is this guy even teaching these things? He doesn't, he didn't go to school. And then they remember that he was with Jesus. And then he says here in verse 29, in Exodus 23, <clears throat> he says, I will not drive them out from before you in one year. You know, that's kind of an interesting concept. I will not drive them out from before you in one year. How many times do we pray and we want victory now? We want victory right now. Lord, give me victory. Give me victory. And the Lord is saying, hey, I'm not going to do it in one year. I'm not going to drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. In the course of time, something happens where you're getting better. You know why? Because you're moving on to perfection. If indeed you are moving on to perfection, and I'm speaking of personal responsibility to yield to the Holy Spirit, to yield to the word of God. That's why Paul says, you know, move forward, press forward onto perfection. Being grown in the Lord, maturing in the Lord. And that's what happens. We're being perfected in the course of time. He says in verse 30, <clears throat> little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Remember, I mean, it's so powerful what the Lord is doing. He said, you know, I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go to battle for you. But you know what? I'm not going to do it immediately. I'm not going to do it in one year. I'm going to wait. You will have victory, but not yet. What about you and me when we desire victory right now? And allow patience to have its perfect work in us. As we move on to perfection, learning to cry out to the Lord. And he says in verse 31, and I will set your bounds or boundaries from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia and from the desert to the river. This is the river Euphrates. So biblically speaking, Israel's borders is a lot bigger than it is today. Modern day Israel. God is still at work. Don't forget, there's the fact that Israel is a nation right now, today. I mean, that alone is prophetic in itself. If we were a church in 1920, there's a lot of things that we would have to accept by faith. Because we refer to Israel as like a foreign nation or a, a nation in the history books. But in 1948, Israel became a nation. Look at the nations that are surrounding Israel. And then not just that, when the, in, you read the prophecies in Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, the Lord will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness. And now the world leaders, even today as we speak, the world leaders are speaking about peace. 
peace and safety, the things that people will do for peace and safety. He says, still in verse 31, For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. It's very interesting. Because sometimes the Lord will fight for us, for you. But then sometimes he expects you to fight. How many times? Look what the Lord did to Egypt. Israel didn't have swords. They didn't have shields. They didn't have mighty horses. They had absolutely nothing. Just the clothes on their back. The things that they could carry on their back. Carrying their little ones. And then the Lord opened the ocean. And then they walked through. They opened the sea. And they walked through on dry ground. Their enemies came. And then boom. The Lord fought for them. Killed them all. <clears throat> killed them. And so sometimes in life, the Lord will fight for you. But then something else happens as you grow and mature, as you're equipped, as you're transformed by renewing of your minds. Sometimes he's going to say, you know what, Liz? You know what, Fur? You know what, Emily? It's time for you to fight. Because we've been equipped. We've been equipped. And it's so powerful because you see these concepts in the Old Testament. And we're at the very, very early, early stages. We haven't really seen a battle. I meant like the battles we're going to get into in the Old Testament. But what about the battles that you and I face on a day-to-day basis? When the tempter comes, when the tempter calls. Or when you have a friend that calls, hey, let's go, you know, get drunk tonight. Oh, it's my birthday. Let's go to the strip club tonight. Or whatever it might be. No. You say, you stand firm in the Lord. This is our home. This is our safety. This is our strong tower. And we become fishers of men. No, I'm not down with that. I'm not going to the strip club. You know, come with me to church. You see, being a fisher of men. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And the Lord is saying, hey, you shall drive them out before you. The battle is now yours. He says in verse 32, you shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. Don't do it. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. These are big words. Lest they make you sin against me. That's what happens when we're unequally yoked. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, people can influence you into the world or you can influence them. You know, you have friends that say, oh, it's okay. It's perfectly fine. No one has to know. We'll just go get drunk. You know, let's go get high. Let's go to the strip club. Let's do this. Let's do all these crazy things. It's okay. And you see the Lord, he says in verse 33, they shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. Remember, the Lord doesn't like a mixture. He doesn't like you in the world. He doesn't like me in the world. We are, you know, heavenly people. Peter writes about it. He says, be holy for I am holy, saith the Lord. All these times, and we're going to see it more and more, especially with the 
elements of temple worship. <clears throat> the Lord doesn't like these mixtures. He likes things, you know, very particular, but they're symbolic of things to come. It's not to say, you know, particular with the, the, the vessels of temple worship, but he's very particular with, you know, like no mixture of certain things, just like he is with a different kind of vessel. I'm speaking about you and me. He doesn't like a mixture of the world in my heart or in your heart. Now, in closing, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. In closing. <coughs> Maybe I should go extra long since I'm not going to see fur for a while. Yeah, amen, amen. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. <clears throat> Actually, verse 14. And Paul is saying, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? You know, Paul is about to ask five questions to the church. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial, which is another name for Satan? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Can you imagine what would... You don't even have to imagine. There are passages in scripture. And we're going to see it like with... You know, in... Um, when you have all these kings that do evil in the sight of the Lord... And how they just totally dishonor the Lord. And there's these uh, priests that totally dishonor the Lord. And you're going to see how they start to invite these idols. They start to invite these idols. And then they lose their battles. They lose wars. And that's what Paul is saying here. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Whoa, what about me? What about you? When you are the temple of the living God and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to watch pornography. Okay, I'm going to go get drunk tonight. Oh, okay, I'm going to go get higher than a kite tonight. Oh, okay, I'm going to beat on my wife tonight. Do you know what you're doing inside of this temple? That is not yours. It belongs to the Lord. And Paul is saying, for you are a temple of the living God. Bought at a very high price. It costs you absolutely nothing. It costs God his only begotten son. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate. Be separate. I can't tell you how many times it's like, wow, you know, are you advocating breaking up the family? No, I'm not. I'm advocating a different family. A different family. Kind of quasi-spiritually and carnally speaking, I'm speaking, you know, I'm advocating the, the family tree of Abraham. Going back to the Abrahamic covenant. 
when the Lord was speaking to Abraham in the desert. And the Lord says, hey, Abraham, check this out. Look up at the sky. And Abraham was an old man. His wife was an old lady. They had no children. And the Lord is telling him, hey, these stars that you see, your descendants are going to be more than these stars. He's speaking to an old man with no kids and an old wife. And it's like, no, you're going to have descendants more than those stars. And it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness sake. It's a different kind of family. And he says here, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So we're going to end our study here and pick up next.